John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, this is Steve. On our 200th episode Spectacular, when asked what movie he would like to do next on The Cinephiles, Geek buddy Shannon McClung said this. Much to John's chagrin, I would like to do The Goonies. Now, if you've listened to John over the years, you probably know he is not exactly a fan. I think if we could actually get John to sit down and watch it, I think he would actually like it. Well, Shannon, you actually get your wish, because to honor the great Richard Donner, who we lost a few weeks ago, the Cinephiles and the Geek Buddies are getting together for a Cinephiles live stream this Saturday at 5 p.m., Pacific Standard Time on our YouTube channel. So if you haven't seen this movie, follow the map to our website, cinephiles.net, where all sorts of treasures are hidden, including The Goonies and every other film we've ever reviewed. And if you happen to support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, right now you could hear the first of a three-part series of shorts that started with a discussion of algorithms and AI, which could be changing the way Hollywood finds talent. So that's a discussion of Hollywood algorithms on Patreon and a Cinephiles Live with Geek Buddy guests Michael Vogel and Shannon McClung to discuss the Goonies. Now, we already know that Mike and Shannon are huge fans and John, to say the least, isn't. It seems to me that the only wild card in this discussion is, well, me. So if you want to hear my thoughts on this 80s favorite, you're going to have to tune in this Saturday at 5 p.m. PST for the latest edition of Cinephiles Live. And if you can't make the live stream, don't worry, an audio version of the show will be available on our regular feed that night. So that's The Goonies Cinephiles Live with the Geek Buddies this Saturday at 5 p.m. on the Cinephiles YouTube channel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Cinephiles Live here from the Cinephiles YouTube channel. I am one of your co-hosts here from the Cinephiles, the outlaw John Roca, joined as always by my brother over there, Steve Morris. How are you? I am very good. I just got back from the mountains literally just now. Oh, and wow. So... <laughs> you made it uh, just so in I'm time. I'm real good, yes. All right. 
Uh, well, thank you so much, Steve, for uh, uh, tearing down the roads to be here. Uh, and of course, we have invited two of the Geek Buddies. Uh, you know, of course, I'm the third one, but we've got a two of the Geek Buddies to talk about uh, this film today. We're talking about the Goonies and offering another kind of tribute or conversation about Richard Donner as a director as well. First off, uh, he is a writer. He is an executive producer. He's a showrunner. He's an all-around smart guy. Michael Vogel, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Steve? I'm good. Yeah? Oh, good. Good <laughs> yeah. to hear. All right. And uh, uh, <laughs> joining him is also a writer, actor, producer, probably in the future for sure. You might have seen him on... Um, Reno night? No, that's not right. You saw him on 911. You saw him. Oh, what's the. Dude, it got real echoey here. <laughs> that was really dramatic. There you go. I you thought something that. big was going to happen. That's what happens when you introduced me. Immediately. <laughs> I thought all your like clips of all your shows were coming forward at once. He's on the Goldbergs. Uh, you've seen him on Modern Family. You've seen him on uh, My Name is Earl. He's seen him on a million things. The great Shannon McClung. How are you, bud? I'm good, Johnny. I've got my, I've got my Goonies. Oh, uh, one-eyed Willie shirt nice. on here. I I am ready to go. Oh uh, well, we'll find out if there's any treasure at the bottom of this conversation. Uh, but yeah, oh, Michael <laughs> deleted himself. That was quick. All right. Uh, so uh, yeah, excited to be talking about this uh, film here today with these gentlemen. But uh, Steve, what was the genesis of us deciding to choose this as the topic for uh, the Cinephiles Live episode? Well, I would say that the genesis, <laughs> well, obviously we're here to honor Richard Donner, who we lost. Normally on the cinephiles, we pick a movie that we feel is important to the person's career. We had already done yeah. three big Richard Donner movies, which of course, Superman with Mike Vogel, who has run away. That was like our third episode. We did Lethal Weapon, which is one the archetypal cop buddy movie, which by the way, that's one that was done in somewhat in our early days. And True. That might be a fun one to revisit. And we did, I think, arguably, maybe in your top two or three Christmas movies is Scrooged. Yes. Um, and so then it was like, okay, what are the other movies? And there's, you know, there's The Omen. There's yes. Maverick that I think you and I both have a, probably a soft spot in our heart sure, for, but isn't sure. a great film. Right. And uh, then there's this other movie <laughs> that had been requested from Shannon over and over and over again. I knew Michael was a big fan. And I with... <laughs> A, a lot of trepidation <laughs> texted you goonies <laughs> and i think your initial reaction was no way absolutely no way. not no Unt until i said cinephiles live with mike and shannon and then you went in yeah. <laughs> that is the genesis absolutely ding that's the way to go yeah i was in because because then, then we can have an overall conversation about the movie and why it works for michael and shannon and why it doesn't work for me and, and we don't know yet what steve's overall feelings are about the goonies so we'll talk about that and i'll i'll text michael and see what his situation is to make sure uh, he's okay but uh yeah this is what the genesis was basically you know we wanted to honor richard donner in some way and this is something that we kind of came up with so we're gonna have fun talking about the movie and 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 just getting into it and then of course mentioning richard donner as well but um let's start off with you shannon first since you're the sole member right now supporting this film uh <laughs> what 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 is it about this film that really moves you touches you brings uh, uh up so much nostalgia for you and is something that you just kind of thoroughly enjoy re revisiting over and over and over again Okay, so I saw Goonies at a time when 
I was I was seven years old mm-hmm. and it, it's it's a time when, you know, we, we didn't have the Internet. You know, if you saw a commercial for a movie, it was on TV like you had to catch it on television or you yeah. had to go to another movie and, and see a preview for it. And so going into the Goonies, I remember who I went and saw it with mm-hmm. um, our family friends, the hates L- Lloyd hate one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad took us and uh, his his, uh, his oldest son. Yeah. And I had no idea what this movie was. Like I had zero, zero clue. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it started, because, you know, I was a bit of a chicken growing up. As <laughs> soon as I saw the skull, I was thinking, oh, no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then as soon as that chase started and you heard that great score, I was just in it 100%. I mean, the 80s was, was a big time of sort of kid empowerment. And that is what the Goonies, that is what the Goonies did for me. And it had a bunch of replicators that came after it. Like you you could argue that the monster squad kind of, you know, rode in Goonies wake. There was another uh, film called big shots, which I don't know if anyone would remember that, but it was uh, the old, the oldest son for family matters. Um, It was him and another kid driving a BMW across the country. I mean, that's the, the Goonies just made you feel like as a kid, you were not, you were not powerless. And it was just such, I mean, I I remember, I don't remember minute for minute, but I mean, it was Mm -hmm. just such an amazing, such an amazing experience getting to see that movie, especially going in. I imagine it was like how Steve, how Steve saw Die Hard. Like I had Mm -hmm. no idea what this was going to be. And it was a transformative cinematic experience. Okay. Uh, Michael, what was your first experience with the Goonies? When did you see it? Why does it last in your mind the way it does uh and why is it one you revisit over and over again um for some reason i remember my cousin my mom's cousin bill was visiting from ohio and him and my dad took me to see this movie and i don't kind of kind of like i think what shannon was just saying before i pop back in like i don't remember seeing a trailer i don't remember wanting to go see this movie i don't remember like knowing that it existed i just remember sitting in a movie theater and seeing that opening shot of like the skull in the Goonies logo. Yeah. And from the moment it started, just being like completely hooked and enraptured. And then now as an adult, when I think back to the entirety of my childhood from the moment I saw that movie until yeah. I was no longer a child, it informed every single thing I did, like getting on my bike every day after school and riding around with my friend. Like it it really it's like to me that movie is childhood in a way that a lot of Amblin movies are, but this Amblin movie probably more than most. Okay. Um, Steve, uh, we, we ask this on the show every time. Uh, we've asked Shannon and uh, uh, Mike already now. What was your first experience with the Goonies? Um, and we'll save your opinion for the movie overall now after I go, because we want to leave it a bit of a mystery for people. What was, <laughs> what was, <laughs> so what this, this is a good story. So okay. uh, I grew up, uh, a very old friend of mine, Matt Grieber, who is a supporter of the Cinephiles, has been with us since the very beginning. Thank you, Matt. His dad, Robert Grieber, was the president of Lucasfilm wow. in the mid-80s. So, huh. uh, so Matt invited me to my first ever movie event. I don't know if it was the world premiere or just like a West Coast premiere or a screening, Mm -hmm. but I saw The Goonies before it came out at the Cinema One in Larkspur with a whole bunch of fancy people when I was, so it's 85, so I was, you know, 16. So, So it was like the craziest, weirdest. I knew that Matt had traveled and his brother John had traveled in these circles because I knew about his dad, right. but 
I had never been invited to one of these things before, and it was, needless to say, super cool. And, by the way, his brother, John Grieber, currently works at Skywalker Sound, recently got an Emmy nomination for sound because he worked on the... um, I just drew a blank. Oh, uh, well, no, no, no musical documentary. He worked on the Hulu, uh, Paul McCartney documentary. That's oh, out right now. Reuben, three, two, one. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so, uh, John Grieber is someone I would love to get on the show because he is a serious sound expert working at Skywalker sound. And we've never had someone on the show to talk like that. So that yeah. is my first experience seeing the Goonies. No. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so my first experience seeing the Goonies was, I think four or five years ago. Uh, finally breaking down and watching it. Yeah, I'd never seen it as a kid for whatever reason. It was just one of those films that didn't jump out at me because I I guess I was moving past that because to me, I was Josh Brolin, right? I was in my teen years. And what do I give a crap about a bunch of young kids running around screaming their heads off about something? I didn't care about it at the time. I was into Top Gun. I was into, you know, Back to the Future. I was into the more, quote unquote, teenager or more young adult type stuff. Than I was the Goonies, so I never went back to see that film until much, much later in life. Uh, and I was just randomly on TCM one day, starting out. And I was like, ah, "I'll watch it. Why not? I won't talk about it." And uh, yeah, I did not enjoy the experience at all, and I've never enjoyed. I don't get why people <laughs> love the Goonies so much, and it's really lost on me. Uh, and some of the, and of course, some of the stuff doesn't really hold up when you look at it nowadays. Some of the, you know, the chunk stuff and whatever, but. The overall message is cool, and I no surprise Michael likes it because it's friendship is magic, basically, in this movie. And they come together to try to save, and we'll get to the synopsis in just a second, but they kind of come together to kind of save uh, the situation with their parents and whatever. So, I mean, I think that's a positive message coming out of the movie, but so much, so, it's so ridiculous that, oh, let me borrow some gasoline around a police station, and oh, no, what are we going to do? Step over the fire. Oh, no, we can't possibly do that. So, I mean, just that kind of stuff just kind of drove me insane, the kind of suspension of disbelief you had to have in this movie particularly to allow the kids to get away with as much as they do so i'll be the old man grump on here that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) that's usually my job (laughs) well speaking of which steve uh without further ado what was what is your reaction now when you think about the goonies or uh when you revisited it for this uh episode so let me tell you what i think (laughs) oh (laughs) i appreciate I, I it had a special place in my heart because of how i saw it right it was probably just as john said i was i was a little bit older so i didn't get as swept up in as in it i'd seen it a few times since and i literally didn't know exactly how i felt about it i knew i probably didn't like it as much as shannon and michael <laughs> and i watched it i made my karen watch it who honestly isn't a very big fan of the movie i made jacks watch it who had never seen it mm. he didn't really like it and I not only did I think I thought it was okay. okay. The special things in the movie I think are really great. There's some great moments in the movie. It really bugged me. Wow. It, it it there are things in that movie. I always hated how Chunk was treated as a fat kid. Mm. Like growing up, I I didn't like it when I saw it the first time. Watching it now, it was terrible. Mm. And uh, there's I so yeah, I got some problems with the film. I like the idea of the film. Mm-hmm. I like it's such a Spielbergian kids adventure story that has all of that Spielberg kind of stuff. Obviously, you can see his hand in it and some of it's done really well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I am. I am. I'm much more on Team Roca, even than I thought I was going to be. <laughs> wow. OK. Yeah. It's going to be quite the tap dance this evening, gentlemen. Oh, OK. <laughs> 
Um, we, know, we know we know one half of this panel is devoid of joy as we talk. <laughs> <before. laughs> uh, all right, well let's let's move on to the synopsis uh, of the movie. Let's get into that just to get people a little caught up on this uh, situation here. It's an American adventure comedy film. Came out in 1985. I think the same year that uh, Back to the Future came out. Mm-hmm. Same, same summer. Same summer. There you go. So it is directed by Richard Donner. Although Sean Astin said in his book that he felt like Richard Donner and Steven Spielberg were co-directing this movie essentially at the same time. It's from a screenplay play by Chris Columbus, who, of course, you know from Home Alone, but also the first two Harry Potter movies and assorted other films that he's done. Uh, but it's based on a story by Steven Spielberg, who's executive producer uh, of the film. Uh, kid th- in, in the film, the kids who live in the Goondocks neighborhood of Astoria, Oregon, attempt to save their homes from foreclosure. And in doing so, they discover an old treasure map that takes them on an adventure to unearth the long-lost fortune of One-Eyed Willie, a legendary 17th-century pirate. During the adventure, they are chased by a family of criminals who want the treasure for themselves. Uh, the film grossed $124 million off a $19 million budget. That, wow. and, but, but people still want to call it a cult film. I don't understand how that's a cult film. If it makes six times its budget, that is no longer a cult fucking movie. That's a massive hit in my opinion. So it's kind of odd that they call this thing a cult film overall. They shot it for five months. They did about a couple of uh, weeks of uh, extra overdubbing and post-production. And apparently the script was 120 pages long. So there was a lot that they cut out. There's a mention to an octopus uh, that, uh, that, right. that there was a scene that was going to be shot as well. Uh, oh no, so, it was shot. You can see oh, the octopus scene. You can. Okay. Sorry. You can. I mean, see it's the not, it's not in the movie, but it's like when it would air on TV on TBS and stuff, you've seen it's, it's good oh. that they cut it. It's the broadcast version. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the soundtrack had Cyndi Lauper, Ario Speedwagon, the Bangles, and other people on top of it. And certainly, uh, Cyndi Lauper had that uh, kind of a semi-hit song, maybe, uh, with the Goonies. No, it was a pretty, I think it was, was a pretty it? big song. Okay. Semi-hit? I don't remember <laughs> it being one of her biggest. And it isn't including on her 13 Deadly CYNS Sin soundtrack or a CD for greatest hits. So I don't recall it being that big of a deal but maybe you guys well, that's because you were too busy listening to danger zone by yeah, <laughs> you know what there's nothing wrong with that take my breath away won the oscar that year no, goonies aren't good enough didn't that's all i'll say uh but uh, roger ebert calls the he gave he gave the film three stars out, three stars out of four said it's quote a smooth mixture of the usual ingredients from steven spielberg action movies made special because of the high energy performances of the kids who have the adventures. Uh, so, and Dean and Gene Cisco gave it three out of four as well. So, two thumbs up there overall. It, uh, and uh, yeah, so there you go. So, what did you guys? Uh, so, what what is it that you think um, now when you think about it endures the most about the film? Uh, Michael, I go to you first. Well, I think because like, and I'm, I'll probably jump back and forth on this mm. throughout the night. Like, there's there's what I love about the film and what endures about it, and then yeah. there's what I think about it from the fact that I've been an executive uh, in, mm. in kids and kids and family entertainment for so long. And I think one of the enduring things is this movie from 1985 is still the bar whenever anybody is developing any TV show or movie really? that is supposed to be a family film. Like wow. you still go into a room and you're like, we need, we need that magic of the Goonies. We need that special sauce. And everyone still just now, Granted, most executives today are in their, you know, early 40s or, you know, a little later and probably were kids when they saw Goonies. So there's probably a nostalgia level to that. But the fact remains that there was something about 
this cast, this story, this movie, the blend of sort of more adult humor with a very, to Johnny's point about like the fire around the the police Mm. station, some adult humor with some very cartoony elements and more young elements. And it made it sort of the perfect bridge movie for kids to go to. You could go to this movie. It was made for you. It had a kid's level of humor and it was just adult enough to A, make you sort of giggle because they were cursing and saying inappropriate things. But at the same time, it was just a little bit scary. Like there was some parts where you maybe got a little bit intense and then it would be cut with one of the kids saying something really funny. So Mm -hmm. all of that is to say that like this movie has an enduring legacy in Hollywood. I mean, it Mm -hmm. really, Amblin sort of, ultimately in the long run sort of helped define the four quadrant film that we all deal with today and Goonies was definitely something that helped shape what that is so I think that's where it really endures a lot within the industry personally um I still think it's magical I mean I'm Mm -hmm. not going like we will get into the inappropriate stuff and there are absolutely like pretty much most of the movies I love from the 80s there are a lot of things that didn't age great. Like there's definitely (laughs) things that are like, oh yeah, wouldn't do that today. Oh yeah, wish they had not done that so much. Um, But something about the chemistry with those kids and ultimately I think Steven Spielberg's idea uh, when he came up with the concept for the movie was, you know, what is it a bunch of kids do on a rainy day? What adventure, what's Mm. the the most amazing adventure that kids could have? And this idea and this magic of like, we fought, we fought criminals, we there was a treasure we there was booby traps like we went and did all this stuff like it is just like a laundry list of this is the ultimate adventure to go on with my friends and it's it's a hard thing like so many movies uh have tried to emulate it and so many movies have failed yeah yeah that's fair i mean level two trading says uh roka was 112 when he saw it so (laughs) i mean that's fair that's absolutely fair. true clearly i'm way past it uh, yeah, Vincent Correa agreeing. He said Roka doesn't like it because he was old when it came out. That's true. That's a fair point. Oh, That's man. That's a fair point. Yeah. Well, I, I don't actually know. It's all the time. But yeah, it's right, open yeah. season on Roka. It is. It's all because they, because I, because they're younger than me, but they look older than me because I look goddamn good for my age. But go ahead, Steve. What were you going to say? Well, I, I actually think this is the key point of all of it is that, is that Roka there was are old? movies. No. Yes. No, that you and, no, but it is that you and I are old. Yes. Is true. that there are movies that when you see them at the right time, you you have the you just can't not love them there's so many films that of of maybe 10 years earlier that that's how i felt about them mm-hmm. that had i seen them 10 years later i probably wouldn't have felt that way like wow. if i was a kid when goonies came out i mean like i love the popeye movie i thought the popeye movie wow, was really? great because i loved robin williams and i loved popeye and so i just thought here was Pop- here was Popeye. It was really cool. You know, looking at it now, probably wouldn't have loved that movie. You know, I think the <laughs> the 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 bones, the structure of Goonies yeah. is great. I think that in everything that Michael said in terms of this is the magical kid ad- adventure is totally true. They yeah. do go deal with booby traps and pirates and go down water slides and face some weird monster and befriend him and like all those are like struck and that's why I go like the Spielbergness of it. Mm-hmm. I think is beat by beat. It's all there. It's the details of it that don't work for me, particularly as a 52 year old guy, you know? <laughs> well, I will say this. I mean, for me, um, I went to see the Popeye movie when I was a kid. I left, a, I left that movie going, what are these feelings inside me? Why do I feel depressed and sad and icky? What is this all about? I, so I didn't enjoy it as much as you did, Steve. I had a, I had other kids' movies I think that I enjoyed around that time. But for whatever reason, that one just didn't work. And Monster Squad, too. I, I just 
those are those two films that just kind of missed me at the time, and I would never I'd well, gone back to watch them, and they don't kind of hold up overall, you know. But well, but Monster as Squad. much as I may, real quick, as much as I may <laughs> ding ET, I can still appreciate ET. Do you know what I'm saying? But I mean, Goonies, I just don't have that same thing. Uh, but Shannon, you got things to say, real quick. Um, the Goonies opened second place to Rambo Part Two. That's where we were at. That the Rambo <laughs> Part Two, Goonies in second place with nine million dollars. Sorry, Shannon, what were you gonna say? Well, so Monster Squad, like I, I, I'm, I'm very nostalgic for Monster Squad as well. I can watch Monster Squad now and be like, "Ooh, Monster Squad is not a great movie," but because it holds such a place of nostalgia in my heart, I can sit and still enjoy it. The Goonies. It was all about that treasure hunt. I mean, it was that yeah. treasure map. It was just, again, uh, basically what Vogel said. I mean, it was just, there was just so much magic to it. And there was that element of danger. And I remember going to see, like, my, my mom took me to go see The Never Ending Story. Right. My mom was out in about five minutes. <laughs> and right. it was just, that was just stuff she couldn't. She's like, I don't understand what, what's happening here. Right. She had seen uh, Star Wars. Uh, when I saw the Goonies again with my parents, they both, I mean, generally they were both asleep in 10 minutes in a dark movie theater, but they both were awake the whole time and were watching and laughing. It was, it was that type of movie that the kids were saying just enough adult stuff to be passable for, for family entertainment, but the adults were still finding it funny. Yeah. I also think, I mean, yeah, I mean, to the monster squad point, like, I loved Monster Squad as a kid. Like, I loved it. And I think that the... I, I will give Monster Squad credit that the Stan Winston creature effects, actually, even to this day, you watch it, and they're still pretty damn good. But Monster Squad does not hold up. Script doesn't hold up. Characters don't hold up. Like, the movie itself, you're just like, I know I like this as a kid, and I can probably watch it at Halloween and have a good time, but, like, ugh. Goonies, the, I do think the key thing that's different with Goonies, and not, I do agree with what you guys, I think if you saw it, at a, a, you were older when it came out, and it wasn't your cup of tea, totally get that, and I think if you see it today, given where movies have gone, uh, it would be like watching the first Star Wars movie for the first time. There's a lot of kids today that if the, the 1977 sure. Star Wars movie is maybe not the best place to start them to make them Star Wars nerds. Mm. Um, once they love it, they can come back to it, and that's cool, but I think that the key thing with Goonies is you have... Uh, Chris Columbus, you have Richard Donner, you have no. Steven Spielberg, you have Frank Marshall, you have Kathleen Kennedy. Like, this was not a, oh, well, you like this as a kid, but it wasn't really well made. Like, this is an incredibly well made, silly kid adventure movie. Um, and when you watch it, kind of to Steve's point, the, St- the Spielberg magic, uh, the Donner ability with directing, um, you know, Chris Columbus writing the script, like, they're. There is a, it is a leveled up version of a lot of the other movies of the 80s that we might have nostalgia for that aren't really as great as we thought they were. So why do you think, why do you think there's a divide though, Steve? Why do you think that there are people who, there are people around Mike and Shannon's age who don't like it either. So what do you, what do you think the divide is there when you look at, uh, as someone who's kind of uh, revisited the film now and has a different opinion about it? I, I, I think it's kind of where you buy into stuff. I guess that's Mm -hmm. what I would put. And what your, you know what I think the divider is? Do you relate to those kids? I think that's got to be the biggest thing. Oh, that's a great point. You know what I mean? It's like, do you, like, and it's so funny. So I I went and looked at uh, what movies were the big movies of 1985. I was just looking Mm -hmm. as we were talking. And it's, first of all, a really good year. And second of all, I'm looking at it going, oh, 1985 is a key year for me in terms of my development of who I was becoming. Like, Mm. here are some of the movies that were important to me in 85. Number one, The Breakfast Club. 
So that's where I was in 1985. Witness is like a big movie of me figuring out how movies work. I went to uh, Weird Science. Again, that's a movie that has is probably oh. as problematic as The Goonies, if not more so. But that's where I was in terms of a problematic <laughs> film was Weird Science. And then there's things like Fletch and Clue and Real Genius and Silverado, Lady Hawk, Rocky IV. Mm. These are like, that's where I was. So yeah. the fact that like, Goonies was a movie that I went, oh, this is for younger people. You know what I mean? It just yeah. wasn't it wasn't where I was at that time in my life. Right, right. You know? Okay. All right. We got some super chats that have come in. Vincent Zawada says, uh, uh, you guys need to do Lethal Weapon 2. Just as good. Yeah, I, I would love to do Lethal Weapon 2. Diplomatic sure. immunity. <laughs> That's my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he does that. Uh, we also have one here from uh, D Duvall, uh, 59. Thank you very much for the kind uh, uh, super chat. My brother, when we were kids, begged me to rent Goonies once, and yet I still rented Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, which turned 50 today for the 100th time. <laughs> I didn't see Goonie until my early 30s, and it's perfectly acceptable. Ah, there you go. High, high, pr- high praise. High, high praise, praise indeed. <laughs> <laughs> That's high praise. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, but let's look at the actors here and, and run, run through these characters here. Sean Aston is Mikey, Corey Feldman is Mouth, Jeff Cohen is Chunk, uh, you have Carrie Green is Andy, Martha Plimpton is Steph, Ke uh, Hui Kwan, I hope I'm saying that right. As, uh, okay, oh, sorry, Ke Hui Kwan as Data, but then you have Josh Brolin as Brand, and then uh, Robert Davi, uh, you know, fresh right before he, he becomes Agent Johnson in Die Hard as Jake. Joey Pants in this as Francis and Ann Ramsey wears the beef as Mama Fratelli. Um, and we also have John Matuzak as Sloth and uh, Lupe Ontiveros, who's worked on a lot of things as uh, Rosalita in this film. So, uh, Shannon, I go to you on this one. Who's your favorite character in The Goonies? Uh, Data. Really? It was, okay. it was always Data. Data was all Data was the one who not only had the gadgets, I thought Data was the funniest, but also he to me he was always the bravest. Like okay. Data was the one that actually went up against the Fratellis. He's the one that sort of inadvertently, but he he got a couple of shots in. So I always yeah. loved Data. I loved I loved the long coat that he had on. Uh, the fact that he had a zip line to, that goes from his house to his friend's front door. Data was the best. Okay. All right. Mikey, do you have a favorite character in the Goonies? I do. Mikey. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, guys. Guys, I go see a movie as a kid. The kid who's the leader of the group, who's the dreamer and believer, who's the one who's going to help make the magic happen and has the special bond with One-Eyed Willie. He's also named Mikey. I mean... It's not a it's not a leap to figure out who my favorite was in that movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Steve, do you have a favorite or do you have a character that stands out for you that you do like even in the in the, even on the rewatch? Um uh probably same as Shannon's is data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Could, nerdy into gadgets, had cool James Bondy things. Yeah, that was that was my favorite favorite character in the film. Yeah. Mike? I know I will say as an adult watching it, uh Despite the fact that the fat shaming is uh, is excessive, yeah. I think Jeff Cohen does maybe one of the best performances in that movie. His performance yeah. as Chuck, Chuck is so ridiculously hilarious. His mm. comic timing is so good for a kid uh, that, I mean, he, he still cracks me up almost every line that he has in the movie. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that. That's my, If I'm going to pick a favorite character, it would be Chunk because of the 
the things he has to overcome, the crap he has to get from his friends, the dance he has to do, and then him connecting with Sloth the way he does over the baby roots and all of that. Like, there is so much involved in what he's doing that you're right, Mike. The timing is incredible. The voice that he uses for the, uh, uh, what do you want? Like, all of that. But you gravitate to him because he seems like an underdog, but he seems to always find his way out of situations. And he's he's all emotion, so you know that just makes all sense. And I always struggle with my weight, so to me, that's the connection. Uh, and I was never cool growing up as a kid. I was always the one who ran behind the cool kids, trying to be part of the group. So that uh, is how I. That's the way. I, that's why I connect with Chunk the way I do. But I think everyone in a vacuum. I enjoy the characters overall in a vacuum, right? It's just the way overall they're used in the piece. I'm just like, eh, you're asking a lot of suspension of disbelief. But Josh Brolin now, I think I'm Josh Brolin now as I get older. You know, like, get out of here. You bother me. You kind of sons of bitches. <laughs> um, but like, what about the women in the film? Let's talk about that. Martha Plimpton and I think Carrie Green uh, is the uh, is Andy. Martha Plimpton is as Steph. Did you like the way they were used as young female teenagers in the movie? And, and do you feel that, that they got, I know it's an 80s movie, but we can ask this question. Do you feel that they got an appropriate amount of agency or equality in trying to figure this whole thing out? Or were they damsels in distress? I, I, I don't, I, I think as always we go through this on the cinephiles all the time. I think yeah. we should look at things from our perspective today. And I think we need to remember, think of them in the context of the time. Mm-hmm. I think in, I, but but what I do think pretty much about almost all the characters is that this is a movie about cliches. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's the jock, there's you know Mikey, the kid who's the dreamer. You got the the nerd, the fat kid, and you know the 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 guy who Troy, who's the asshole. You mm-hmm. and the the the, the 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 girls don't have a lot of character to them, other than these are the girls mm-hmm. to me. Okay. You know, Martha Plimpton maybe a little bit more. Um, and the, some of the stuff of like the long monologue of it's okay if he wants to look down my shirt, that's fine. I do have a great body. Like all that stuff, that mm-hmm. is not uh, the best stuff as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Uh, Mike Shannon, what do you guys feel about that? Uh, looking at it now with 2021 eyes. I think mo- I, it's funny. Um, <laughs> I will, I, I, I agree. I just want to interrupt with you. I love Shannon's like, you talk. You talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I agree, but I disagree. I mean, like, I think I think most movie. I mean, like, it, 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 most characters start as a cliche. Mm. I mean, when you're writing. I mean, when you're when you're sketching something out, uh, and it's in the execution that you sort of. Uh, it's in the execution and the performance where you sort of either stay in the cliche or make it somewhere else. And mm. to say that the character, to say that Goonies is a movie of cliches is not untrue. Mm-hmm. But I think that the reason that the movie endures is because whether it's the actors, whether it's the performance, whether it's the the special sauce or something, they extend beyond those cliches. Like, uh, for example, um, Chunk as a character. I mean, Chunk could have been just a fat joke, and mm. he gets plenty of play as a fat joke. Yes. But he gets the relationship with Sloth. He gets to come in and be the hero at the end. Like the fact that he and Sloth come save the day and rescue everybody kind of elevates it a little bit. It gives him more to do. Also, him being sort of getting in trouble for all the pranks that he did, his whole monologue with the Fratellis, like there's more to him than just the cliche. And I think throughout, I mean, like there's, it's a lovely kind of, 
of coming of age story with yeah, Andy is the cheerleader and she's mm-hmm. on the she's going along for the ride because she has a crush on Brand. But then like she accidentally kisses Mikey and then she kisses Brand and she gets to have that nice moment with Mikey at the end. Like I think each one of them has a little bit extra than just the simple cliche. I think Monster Squad is a movie that's just cliches. Oh, and yeah. I think that's why it doesn't endure. And I think Goonies does give you the broad strokes. Like everyone fits their role of what you would expect a kid's adventure movie to be. Um, as far as the girls specifically, uh, I always felt as a kid that they were equal members of the group. Like I didn't feel like they were just, and I think it's a little bit different for each one. I think Andy maybe is the less well developed is more of just a straight across Mm. character that's like there's not a lot going on but she gets to play those bones yeah like as a kid to me they would have been fucked if andy didn't go along so i'm like oh my god she's like a core member she had to be there steph's character i think doesn't have as much to do along for the ride but i think they they were saved by martha plimpton i think martha plimpton just came in and made every line fucking amazing and kind of elevated steph to be a better character because she was the one out of everybody that didn't really have her own specific moment, but Martha yeah. Plimpton's performance kind of made up for that. Okay. All right. Uh, Shannon, you don't get out of this one. Well, what's your thoughts? Over <laughs> well, to me, growing up with two older sisters, these were uh, like watching my older sisters. I mean, interesting, they, yeah. they, they 100% belonged. And to me, they were 100% developed. And I do agree with Mike, like without Andy there, they get stuck. They get mm-hmm. caught by the Fratellis. And Steph, even though she doesn't have anything sort of... Uh, quest specific to do she is the only one who punches ma fratelli in the face Mm. giving her the what's that so to me uh they 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 were more than cliches they were they were fully they were fully developed characters to me especially as a seven-year-old yeah i I do think and i think steve is right that you do have to like look would that would they pass any kind of level of test of like well-developed females today? No, not at all. Like I'm not trying to argue that like this was like a movie ahead of its time. But again, I'm just gonna keep picking on it because it came up. But when you look at the two females in Monster Squad who are there because one of them is a virgin and one of them is not, there's definitely a Andy and Steph are much better as far as female representation than other things that were going on in the 80s. Yeah, some of the other things going on in the 80s. But there's also this um, other side of it, right? Like the relationship between Chunk and Sloth, right? Sloth, we would, you know, it's not an attractive face to look at in any way, shape, or form. But I look at it like kind of like a little bit, I don't know if people might get mad at me for saying this, but there's a connective tissue here with Elephant Man. You're watching that film in 1980, and you're having a really hard time seeing the makeup on John Hurt as he's playing John Merrick and what he's going through. But there's a sympathy. There's a real uh, like um, attention to detail in the human experience that makes you look past that. And doesn't that end up happening with Sloth as well? Like you initially like, ah, oh, you're with Chunk, like afraid of this guy. But as you understand that he's a young kid at heart, he's got his own things going on and he's part of this terrible family. There's even a little bit of symbolism maybe there as well, a little bit like you've got friends who are in bad situations and maybe they act in a certain way or they, 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 they appear in a certain way, whether it's their clothes or their face or their general hygiene, and you look beyond and there's more going on. So maybe it's also a film that teaches you about understanding and that uh, there's more than just surface level when you're dealing with somebody, like so, judge, so, removing judgment. Yeah, sorry. So I, first of all, I for me the chunk sloth relationship that is my favorite part of the film. Mm. 
I that genuinely works for me. And, and I think, and again, this is like structurally what I like about the film. These are all outsiders who are not the rich kids. They're not the cool kids. They all have things that might be against them in one way or another. Yeah. And then we see the rich country club folk and that they are the enemy. And then we see, and that sloth is one of them. He yeah. is an outsider who's been put down and that each one of these people finds their place within the Goonies. Almost like this is our world down here, which that speech is irritating. But yeah. but <laughs> I, I understand. It's gold. It's gold. <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> the, the, the repetitions of the word. There's so, by the way, there's so much of Richard Donner just letting them kind of improvise around the script. Mm. And there's so much kind of rambling. It just, that's not, it's irritating to me. Okay. Um, you know, like I, and, and so and that's the thing. It's like, if you find them charming, then that's really fun. And if you find them less charming as I do, then it's less fun. But structurally, I think that works great. And I love Sloth. I, that's mm. my, that's truly my favorite part of the film. Okay. What do you gentlemen think about this relationship? Yeah, I mean, I think he Sloth is scary for about 15 seconds. Okay. And that includes that first part because at the beginning when we meet him with uh, Robert Davi, uh, you feel bad for him. Like like something's wrong here. You know, like we're, we're looking at him from behind. Uh, whatever the opera that he's singing is clearly torturous mm -hmm. um it's only that moment that when uh mikey is trying to push that you know that tray of whatever that stuff is towards him that yeah. you get sort of that fear it's that moment because you haven't seen his face you're looking at him from behind right, right. um as soon as uh, as soon as he sits down with chunk even though he's kind of yelling and roaring like it's it's like oh this is this is, you know, this is this is somebody magical almost, yeah. and the fact that it, yeah. it turns so quickly into a connection, um, yes, yeah. sloth is one of the best parts. And you know, I know Steve talks mm -hmm. about uh, setting things up and paying them off. I mean, like they're they're watching. I think it's Captain Blood, Captain um, Blood yeah. right? Yeah, they're watching Captain Blood, and then you get that moment where he does the same thing where he takes the dagger and he goes down the sail. That, uh, that's beautiful. Like that's yeah. like, I enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, when you look at this uh, uh, film overall, you also start to explore the relationship between the friends. The friends at times can be a bit like Corey Feldman. This is the beginning of Corey Feldman being Corey Feldman for the rest of his life you, at this one of those movies where he is uh, going at. And, and some people describe it as a loud movie with a lot of children talking all at once. And Steve alluded to the improvisational nature that Richard Donner, oh, by the way, Richard Donner never had kids. Never apparently never mm. wanted kids, and this was as close as he was going to get to kids. Um, and apparently, Richard Donner went on a vacation after this movie was done, and Steven Spielberg flew in all the kids to meet him at the air, meet him in the hotel room, uh, which I'm sure Richard Donner was so happy to have. I'm sure he was <laughs> to see that. But like, but do you think? Do you see Steven Spielberg in any of these kids? Do you see Richard Donner in any of these kids? I mean, he has a cameo as a deputy in the film, but do you sense that there's? a certain kid that is Spielberg, a certain kid that is Donner in this? I would have to think that... Oh, go ahead, Steve. No, no, you go ahead. As, as, if, I think I, I would have to say that if there was a kid that was the Spielberg kid, it was probably Mikey. I mean, you look at who Spielberg, okay. yeah, you look at who Spielberg sure. is as a director uh, and Mikey's journey to One-Eyed Willie and everything else. Like, I think that that is the closest that, that not having, not being good friends with Steven Spielberg, but just yeah. knowing his body of work, I would say probably... Him. I'm not sure about Donner. Okay. All right. What about you, Shannon? What do you where do you lie on this one? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Spielberg Mikey connection, just like the Spielberg Elliot connection. I mean, it's it's mm. always going to be the lead of, of of these types of movies. For Donner, I always saw him as Mr. Walsh, this sort of put him up <laughs> guy who's who's trying to who's trying to wrangle these kids <laughs> supremely unsuccessfully. I think I like this idea. I think I like that idea overall. <laughs> Steve, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I I don't know who who I would say they are. I probably agree uh, with Mike that it is that Spielberg would be Mike. I don't know who Richard Donner would be, but the thing that I was thinking about yeah. is that I'm imagining the version of the Goonies that Spielberg actually did direct. Mm. Is that because if you think about kids in ET or kids in Close Encounters or kids in the other films where he worked with kids, one of the great things that uh, that Spielberg does is manage to create nuance. Yeah. Is managed to create little tiny details that make it, and it's just Michael. It's just as you said. Is that you? Sometimes you start at the cliche, and then as you build things out, they become less and less cliche. And particularly if you think of Spielberg's early films and the way he treats families and kids, he manages to make those so real and so naturalistic. You know that uh, I kind of wonder what this movie would have been like had he made it. It is really funny, though. I mean, and this probably is a. Uh... Uh, chalk it up to age, chalk it up to whatever. Mm -hmm. The exact thing, Steve, that you find annoying about Goonies is the exact reason that I think this movie stands heads and tails, like like heads above a lot of the other kids' movies that come out uh, around this time and subsequently, which is that improv nature, that Mm -hmm. natural kind of acting. Like, I felt like these kids were real. I felt like they were really on this sure. adventure, whereas so many other movies that tried to emulate it, the kids felt so forced. And I also mm. think that, like, I, it's, it's an interesting thing you say about, like, say, like, Elliot and the and his and the the kids in ET. Definitely, Spielberg finds this level of whimsical, magical nuance in sort of yeah. the way that he looks at childhood. But like the Goonies kids are like they're like part. Spielberg, but then part like a like Donner movie. It's part Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Like to yeah. me as a kid, and even to this day, like that opening sequence where you sort of meet each of the Goonies when Chunk is playing video games and he sees like the Fratellis and the right. cops go by, and he presses the pizza and the milkshake up against the thing, and the milkshake explodes, and he's like, "Ah, shit." I'm like, I get who this kid is, and, and I think he's real. I don't think I'm watching a movie. This is a documentary about Astoria. <laughs> um, I, I actually have a question for you guys. This is something I first noticed um, we, when the first time Jax watched Home Alone, also a Chris Columbus movie. And I'm watching Home Alone, and I'm going, oh, my God. All of, almost all of the jokes are mean. There's so much meanness, oh, yeah. and there's so much cruelty in the experience of a kid. And, and it was so weird watching it because in my childhood, that was just how movie it was a how movies were. And a lot of it was how what we experienced as kids. And if you look at all and I think of all the TV that he had watched today and all of the cartoons, meanness as a sense of humor is almost entirely absent. People don't make fun of people. And if you think about how much there is making fun of people in Goonies, um, particularly the, the the chunk stuff is really really brutal as far as I'm concerned. And by the way, I've seen in the chat a lot of people who like me were heavy as a kid, really identified with chunk and really loved him for that reason. And I think that's you know that's yeah. great that when you could have that experience in film. But my question, I guess, is how do you feel today about humor that is mean? Is there still a time where making fun of people is funny? You know, you think about Don Rickles, that's his entire act yeah. is insulting and making fun of people. 
And so that was so much of the comedy that I grew up with. Yeah. And it's mostly gone. So what do you guys think? It, um, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Uh, well, it's funny. I mean, it's like I, again, on and Goonies specific, it really does strike me as, because like watching it, I can pick out, like you're absolutely right. Like they are all kind of mean to each other. Yeah. But again, to me, for some reason, it comes across as like, that is how that actually is how kids at that age like do talk to each other. Like kids are mean. Like kids are naturally mean. It's a thing that we all dealt with. Uh, you know, get it, whether I got made fun of for being kind of like more girly or sensitive, or you know, you got made fun of because of weight, or Shannon got made fun of because he's tiny. Like you know, like there's just definitely a level of like people got made fun of for things. Wait, what? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Oh, oh, oh um, it went over my head. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> nothing. Nothing goes over my head. But I do think that it is, we do live in a different time where we uh, we don't tend to, or at least in our popular movies, we shy away from that. I think the 80s was definitely, uh, there. you go through a lot of the 80s, and I think 80s humor did tend to be meaner. And now because we kind of live in a different era of movie making, uh, our most popular movies tend to shy away from that. Well, also, but I also think it's not realistic, is it? Because kids nowadays do make fun of each other. They've always done that. Kids will always do because they're not emotionally mature. That's just the logical part of life. Most kids, not all kids, obviously, but most kids will make fun. Or even with it, I mean, we're seeing now the nerds who used to get their asses kicked by the uh, by the jocks. They are now, well, in essence, the dude bro jocks who are harassing women. We've seen if you've read that Activision Blizzard complaint that the uh, California state just came down on. You read that these are fucking nerds out here who probably haven't seen a weight or a shower, but yet they're going to harass these women and and and, uh, and exploit dude bro culture. <laughs> Who's being mean heaven. now? So, yeah, I don't mind being mean to nerds. <laughs> well, but, I don't mind, but I do because think... I am one. But I, so I know my own, and so I'm just saying this is this kind of thing that you look at. And you go, yeah, you go. Well, they've kind of co-opted this kind of behavior, so it's a human thing, isn't it? So I don't it, think it's yes and no though. Not realistic. Yeah. I, well, I think I, here's what I think, uh, and this is probably a bigger conversation than just the Goonies, but I think in the 80s, yeah, yeah, people yeah. were mean to each other oh, about yeah. that kind of stuff. I think adults yeah, appearances here, and looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes, they were. But You're like, but I mean, right. I think, but I think in the 80s, you did like you did make fun of the fat kid. You did make fun of the girly, yep. the, the sissy kid. You did make fun of the kid who was a different color than you, or whatever. I think kids today, actually, uh, I think adults still do. I think adults still do plenty of stupid shit, as John said. I think kids today absolutely still make fun of each other, but I think they tend to make fun of each other less about the things that we used to. I think kids growing up today are, uh, by and large, probably smarter and more uh, sensitive than we were as kids uh, because of just like the era, the era that they're growing up in. It doesn't mean that kids don't still make fun of each other, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that kids don't still deal with all of the things, uh, insecurities and anxiety that we dealt with but i think it's like it's a different way of making of the kids don't do the stupid shit that we see represented in a lot of 80s movies now uh that we all did well here's a great point from uh oh musty he says um uh even chunk they joke about it or and act like oh chaco is that is it chaco is that or is he trying to so even chunk they joke about it and act like he's annoying but he is annoying by lying all the time exaggerating stuff and it's that it's that that they resent from the start not him being fat so that could be a part of it too although they do you know triangulate on the fatness but they also kind of resent him a little bit for his character. So maybe that's well, a part I, of it. Would you agree with that? I think resent is a strong word. Okay. I don't, right. I, I don't think yeah, they, they all resent have flaws. him for that. 
Yeah, oh, I mean, that's like Mikey the thing won't with kids. shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's he's always. I, I meant the character. I'm sorry, the character. Sure, sure, <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, that's that's what I meant too. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think when kids when kids are, fr- I mean, that is how boys bond. Sometimes yeah. is you get there's a comfortability sure. there, and and like you know, the four of us will 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 poke fun at each other. Oh my god. It's yes. sort- it's sort of like this is a terrible example, uh, so I'm going to make it. Uh, like, <laughs> like baby rattlesnakes don't know when to stop biting, just like kids don't know when to stop making fun. They just they kind of see blood and pop, 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 pop. Whereas, like as adults, you 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 can joke around with your friends. You kind you can kind of bust balls a little bit, but you also know ideally you know where to stop. That it's yeah. just kind of like okay, he's had enough. Let's let's back off because at the end of the day, you are friends. You do love each other. As kids, you just, I think you're still kind of developing that gear. Yeah, but I think, you know, go go ahead, Steve, sorry. So so I've been been quiet for a long time, which is difficult for me. So now I've built up a whole bunch of things to say. All right, lay it down. the, The first one, one of the things about Chunk is it's not just that the other kids are making fun of him. The movie is making fun of him. There are so many fat jokes within the I'm so depressed and squirt whipped cream in my mouth. I can smell ice cream like all of those things or the parents showing up with the Domino's pizza at the end of the movie. The movie is saying this is what fat kids are and in making that a ridiculous thing. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I think what was happening maybe not just the 80s, but forever in society, was there were certain things that were considered to be the norm. And those things that were outside of the norm, there was a belief that if you make fun of them, they will move, they will, it will help them. They make fun of the fat kid and he will lose weight. You know, make fun of the sissy kid so he's, so he toughens up. You know, that's, and you heard this all the time. And so movies were an extension of that. And the other thing I'd like to say, as the only person who actually has a kid here, mm-hmm. I can only speak from the experience of a California education, but it is different. It is really, really different from when we grew up. For okay. the first point is there is a whole section of schools, and this is schools across the country called social emotional learning, which is all about learning to deal with your feelings, learning to deal with other people. And here's the and here's one of the biggest things that's really, really different. If something bad happened to you guys on the school ground, if someone said something mean to you, and or even if you had a little argument and a teacher or a principal came up and said, What's happening? Would you immediately tell the principal what had happened? Of course not. Never, never. I guess back then, no, yeah. You would, you almost never broke, unless it was really egregious. You can't, you think about the breakfast club. At the breakfast club, they're at each other's throats until Vernon walks in, and then they're all against Vernon. Mm -hmm. Today, adults are around all the time. They are everywhere in terms of these kids growing up. Mm -hmm. My son is so rarely away from adults, and the kids continually go to the adults to resolve their problems. And the adults, when they see anything going on, the adults step in and say, now, now, you shouldn't have said that to this, and that might have been a little rude. And why? Like, they have uh, techniques that are like the cool shoes, and what color are you, and all these things that are taught in schools about how to resolve conflict. And they have continually sessions with kids in conflict with adults, with both. I've had so many meetings with me and Karen and other parents to help our kids resolve a conflict that they have facilitated by the school. Like the world is different. You know, it really is, um, at least in my California perspective. And that's fair. And that's you're absolutely right, Steve. You obviously have way more perspective than three of us do is not having kids. Although Shannon feels like our child, Mike, I'll be real. But like, I understand. He is. He is my baby. (laughs) 
baby's kids. <laughs> but the other side of it, Steve, is we've also seen this influx of Karens crying in the middle of restaurants, crying in the middle. Like this can whole we, can we not, can we, Hey, can we oh, not sorry. use that term in well, my okay, wife's so name what, is Karen? What term would you like to use then? Bitches? I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to say that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, maybe that was the wrong one. Uh, yeah, horrible, it was the horrible people. Horrible, I dislike Ooh. the term. Oh, my. <laughs> All right. Uh, people say John's. I don't get offended, of, but I respect it. If you uh, find the people we've seen people regardless of gender. So let's let's take the name out of there. Go uh, ape shit in stores. Isn't that related to somehow validating every feeling that you have, validating all that you need to be catered to, you need to be blah, blah, blah. Is that a possibility? I, I ask not to go off topic, just real quick, any thoughts on that? Do we think that that's going to lead to the best situation? Isn't it a combo of toughness and understanding your feelings that we should get to overall? I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure if I understand the question. So, so say it again. I feel like if we're going to have this thing where we're raising kids to be uh, to feel like every one of their feelings is valid, every one of the feelings is the, is what we're getting with this younger general. We were seeing so many, ca- uh, so, sorry, so many people in. Yeah, use stores. the term. No, use no, no, the no, term. No, no, no. I want to respect where you're coming from, and I, you know, I love Karen, so I'm not gonna. Uh, if it's this thing that bothers her, so this whole situation here. Do you think that we're creating those? Uh, like, what kids' movies are we going to create now? I guess that's my overall question. Because of how things are changing and how we're teaching kids and how how adults are around more, what kind of Goonies type movies are we creating now? Because I haven't seen too many kid ensemble movies other than stuff you see on Disney Plus, like the most recent one about the detective stuff. Do you see that that's changing in our entertainment, that there's mainstream kids movies like Goonies, but from a different point of view? Do you guys see any of that out nowadays? Well, well, let me let me address the first thing you said first, which is, yeah. I actually a hundred percent agree that it, at least what I see, I'm very concerned that we've gone too far mm. in the. It's not that I don't think everybody's feelings are valid, and it's not that yeah. I don't think that kid. It's really important for people to learn how to deal with them and deal with their mental health. I really do, yeah. but I also think that part of the good thing about the Goonies or Home Alone or a lot of these movies is that. Life is fucking hard. Yeah. It isn't that easy to resolve your problems and that people are, as kids grow up into adults, they're going to have to deal with some hard shit. And mm-hmm. so like continually showing, inter- you know, it's like I see things at my school where they're saying, now everybody here can make, include everyone and feel good about it and express their feelings and it's all going to be okay. And, and, and everyone can work out their conflicts. And I'm like, I'm a 50 year old man. And I know a whole bunch of adults who can't work out their conflicts Mm. or express their feelings or deal with all this is hard stuff. And so like, I, I, I do think there is a certain amount of grit that we need to get to our kids because the world can be really, really brutal. Yeah. And they need to learn those lessons, you know? Yeah, fair. Well, and what about the second part? Have you have you seen any films or any TV shows or anything like that that are uh, kind of equivalent to the Goonies nowadays that show a different kind of behavior amongst the kids as a group, ensemble? I, I don't know if I see a ensemble one, but I think a lot of the Pixar films really do deal with this well, whether it's Inside Out or, you know, there's there or, or the, you know, Toy Story 3, where they're dealing, you have characters that kids are relating to that are dealing with real difficult, hard stuff okay. in, in, in a complicated way. So I think some of that is there. What do you think, Mike? I mean, you, you keep tabs on this stuff, I'm sure. What do, what do you yeah, think? I think that, um, it's interesting. I think that, like, you know, obviously the closest parallel to Goonies today is Stranger Things. Ah, uh, uh, of course. And with, yeah, and, with, and, with, 
And a close second to that would be part one of Stephen King's It. And all three of them, uh, Goonies in a very light and hearted way, It in a horrific way, and Stranger Things somewhere in the middle, all deal with sort of kids in this coming of age era and this group of kids that kind of come together to overcome some big like obstacle. Um, and I think that it's it's not by accident that both It Part 1 and Stranger Things are period pieces that take place roughly in the same era as yeah. The Goonies. How ironic. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that that's the case. But I think that... Um, yeah, I, I think that when you look at both of those movies, you see kind of them splitting the difference. I think mm. that, particularly with Stranger Things, you see them um, being more inclusive and showing some characters uh, that weren't necessarily represented as much in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I think you see them really working harder to make the female roles uh, oh, more yeah, wealth, more fleshed totally. out, for sure. Um, and but and I think that you do see with all three of them, Goonies, again, in a much more lighthearted way, this idea that childhood is hard. I mean, kind of mm-hmm. to Steve's point, um, I, I don't know as much about the, the way kids joke with each other and is this a mean joke or not a mean joke, but I think that Stranger Things and It and Goonies all use, in a movie kind of sense, this idea of something sort of fantastical to sort of help tell a story about coming through a difficult time. Mm. Goonies is about, you know, you're a kid, you don't have any control. If your family's going to move, you're fucked. You lose all your friends. It is very much about dealing with adolescence and adulthood and the things that you are out of your control, and Stranger Things does the same thing. And so it's kids coming through a fantastical thing and going through this sort of harrowing journey that only kids can see, that only kids can understand, that I think does kind of to the point of what you're talking about. Uh, one of the reasons some of these movies really do hit kids at a certain age in a certain way is because they do see these kids going through some huge struggle and things being hard and coming out at the other end better and stronger because they stuck together. Yeah. And I think that's sort of an enduring, to your point, it's friendship is magic. So I like so, it. So yeah. I agree with every single thing you said, except this stranger things and definitely it are not for kids that could you imagine? I've heard Shannon McClung stories about movies. He was taken to too young. You guys were about seven or eight years old when Goonies mm-hmm. came out. Can you imagine someone taking you to it? When you were seven or eight years old, God, or even not. Stranger Things. Stranger Things I mean, is pretty damn scary. I mean, I saw a lot of movies that I probably shouldn't have seen around the same. I mean, you were talking about Weird Science came out that same year. I saw Weird Science in the theater. Certainly shouldn't have seen it at eight years old. Uh, not not that it was scary. Uh, it was scary. It made me feel some things. It made me feel some things. Scary, scary, scary in a different way. But now you're yeah, confusing. You're, you are you are correct. But what I but what I'm saying is the reason that. Stephen King's novel, It, uh, struck a chord with people, even as adults who read it. I think one of the reasons that Stranger Things is popular, and kids absolutely do watch Stranger Things sure, on Netflix. I'm sure they do. Um, is because whether you are a kid watching it or you're an adult watching it, it is a story that takes a fantastical thing and replaces it with the struggles that a child really goes through in real life. Or yeah. uses it as a window into it uh like we you know you're a kid who's dealing with abuse you're a kid who's dealing with neglect you're a kid who's dealing with being in the closet and for you this experience is horrific because you're dealing with a scary clown or the upside down or whatever it is yeah yeah i I think that's a very valid point you know you that's the that's why those you know nowadays we're not we don't live in a g-rated world anymore in fact you know i was doing a study when i uh, a couple of years ago, and I was writing a, an article, and it was exploring how many G-rated movies there are, and how 
many how how the numbers have dropped precipitously since the 80s when you look at year by year how many g-rated movies aside from those chimpanzee disney animal movie nature movies there's not many g-rated movies that go into the theater anymore kids are much more mature mature or exposed to harder things at younger ages now in our society than ever before the internet is part of that tvs and other part of film is a part of that so it's a different approach and i agree i think the reason why it and stranger things works is because we all remember being terrified as kids at that age about something there's a universality in those experiences and whether it was in our minds or not we felt that terror because we didn't have power we didn't have power as kids we never felt that we could control anything even though we might have deluded ourselves we could we never could control it so at any moment our dad could spank us or at, any, at least when i was growing up at any moment you know you could get in trouble with the teacher at any moment you get beat up by bullies at any moment, any kind of crazy things could happen to you, you know? So what about you, Shannon? What do you think about this? I, I mean, I do agree with Steve that uh, uh, definitely it and to a much, to a lesser degree, Stranger Things. I mean, Stranger mm. Things is pretty, it's pretty gory. Um, True. But, the upside down and stuff. Yeah. But to what Steve was saying about the Pixar, the Pixarness, um, you know, I think Luca is, is a great example mm. of, of a, of a, of a movie like this where kids can, kids have an outlet kids can figure out how to, how to deal with, deal with, deal with conflict resolution. Yeah. Um, and, and I would also say into the spider verse. I mean, a lot of, I mean, how many kids Absolutely. Ha- have not yeah. felt like miles Morales have felt, have not felt like I'm the outsider and you, and you, you find, you find your tribe. Basically you find mm-hmm. that group of people who helps you be the best you, you can be. Right. Right. I think Kang did that as well. He found multiple variants of himself. Uh, what do you, what do you say there, Steve? Well, um, I, I was just thinking about um, what you were saying, John, about yeah. how little control we had. The, the, what's so weird about it is I think that's 100% true. Yeah. I also think we were so much more independent. And if you think about whether, whether yeah. it's a movie like E.T. or I remember we, years ago we did The Black Stallion on yeah. Cinephiles, right. is that I, I was on my own a lot as a kid. You know, whether it was riding my bike to school and do, we were just out there in control of our lives a lot in the way that happens much, much less today. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, I learned how to cook and make myself dinner when I was about not my son's age, who's 10, you wow. know, because I was home and there wasn't anything I needed to eat, you know? So it's not that my parents were, you know, not there. They were just, well, they weren't there at that moment. <laughs> they were there for me in general, <laughs> but like there are so many of us that grew up doing so much more in, in there's a study, I'll try to say it really, really fast, but there was a dude who followed kids, it sounds really creepy, in the 70s with a camera to see what kids did when adults weren't around. And he, it was like in a New England town, and he mapped everywhere they went and saw that they would travel like three miles away from their town and go to the quarry and go to, you know, where the fallen tree was and down to the creek. And, and they just had all of these experiences totally without adults. And these are like, you know, four yeah. to 10-year-olds. Then he went back to the same town in the 2000s and did the same study, and the kids never left their backyards. And many of the parents were the kids he had followed. They had grown up, now had kids in the same town, and he said, hey, yeah, but I have this on my chart that you went down to the river and you played for four hours with whatever, but your kid never leaves the play. Why don't?" And they go, well, I could never let them go out to that river. It's way more dangerous now. And he pulled out the town statistics of the of the police, and it's way safer. Crime is down like a third of what it had been when these kids were out running around <laughs> on the river. The way we conceive of children is really different today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
we're very protective of children nowadays. So the idea that they could run, oh, that's, that's a great point, Steve, actually kind of indirectly, like a, a movie like Goonies could, would be very hard pressed to get made because those kids all run off away from the parents uh, to do them, uh, do these things and get in these situations. Would that be allowed nowadays with all the tracking people? Are like, oh, I got to call you on your cell phone. You better text me. Where are you at? The iPhone, the, the, uh, the, uh, the oh, uh, yeah. Apple watch, all that kind of stuff you can track where everybody's at. So it would be kind of difficult to do a Goonies movie nowadays for sure. So I don't know. Something might be he, Michael he, could write. I'm just saying. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. He, I think that's a fantastic idea, but you'd need Shannon to write the action sequences because yeah. Shannon writes fantastic <laughs> action sequences. Oh, so here, here's, here, I, I, already oh, went to, I already went to Shannon and was like, hey, I have this idea, but I need you to write the action sequences. So that is accurate. <laughs> um, here, here's a really quick story. A, yeah. a friend of mine had two kids. They were eating at California Pizza Kitchen. One kid is four. The other is like eight. And the mom had promised them seize candy after the meal. But oh. the four-year-old is being really, really slow. And the eight-year-old is getting really impatient. Maybe he's nine. And mom says, I'll tell you what. Here's $2. Seize candy is literally next door at the mall. Why don't you go over there, pick out whatever you can, but come on back. And by then, hopefully, the four-year-old will be done with lunch. And so the kid goes, okay. And he was really proud and super excited because this was his first time going alone to a store to buy a thing. And he walks into the store, and there are two ladies behind the counter, and there was another customer and the moment they walked in they said where's your mother and he said i uh and they said where's your you shouldn't be here without your mother we should call your mother and find her right away and the kid got really freaked out and he ran back to california pizza kitchen gave mom back the money and said don't ever make me do that again oh my god yeah jesus <laughs> Woo. Uh, here, here, yes. And you know what? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you one more story, and then I promise I'll shut up. Here's oh. the opposite story. Yeah. My my dad had an office in the Mission District in San Francisco, which is a he's an optometrist, and it's a fairly, particularly in the '80s, rough neighborhood. A lot of crime. A lot of you know, very not a not a wealthy neighborhood in any way. And my sister, who was 11 maybe or 12, would go to the office and answer the phone and file things for my dad. And my dad would hand her the deposit to take to the bank. And in the deposit was $1,000 or so of cash. And my sister would walk the four blocks, 11 years old, by herself to Crocker Bank, where she would make the deposit. And my dad called ahead to Crocker Bank and said, Kathy Morris is going to come in. And they so they knew she was coming. And the moment she came in, the bank teller would walk out and say, oh, Kathy, you're Dr. Morris's daughter. Come on over here. We're going to do your deposit. And my sister was so proud. And she claims that it's that experience of doing that many times that is why she has been a world traveler traveling by herself to India, South America, Australia, all wow. over the world because she learned that independent spirit. And this is the thing about kids being independent and giving them space to 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 learn that they can take care of themselves, you know. Huh. Yeah. All right. All right. That's um, my last story. I'll shut no, up. No, I like it. it's a good story. Um. So when you look at this, uh, uh, do you have a favorite scene? I'll go to Mike and Shannon. Obviously, you know, we'll deal with the. We'll want to bring it back to the movie. Here is what we we're talking about. But do you guys have a favorite scene in the movie? And also. Um, have you ever simulated any of this? Did you guys ever create a treasure map? Did you ever get into any of that when you guys were kids? <laughs> I tried doing the chattering teeth as a grappling hook. <laughs> that nope. will not work. That does not work. <laughs> <laughs> not, not at all. I mean, I mean, I, I have so many favorite scenes in it, but I do okay. think, I mean, I love 
I love those opening credits. I mean, I love them establishing those kids right off the bat with very little dialogue. And I just love that score, Dave uh, Grusin's score. I mean, it's so, it just gets you in the mood for adventure. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I look, thinking of all of the, thinking of all of those introductions to the kids, um, Obviously, Data is my favorite, um, but uh, Martha Plimpton diving for crabs. That's the only that's the only intro scene that I'm like, all right, so this doesn't actually sync up to who you are as a character. <laughs> but still, it was very funny to watch it pull her, pull her face out of some tub with a giant crab. It was very funny. Mike? Um I always really loved uh, the scene when they go into the attic at the beginning. Like, just the whole scene that sort of kicks everything off where they're like, oh, is there some rich stuff in the attic? And just, like, the magic of going up into this attic and having all of this stuff and the kids running around and Mikey getting mad because Mouth messes up a painting and then, like, Chunk, like, breaking the... Like, just the discovery of all of this and, like, the magical moment. Like And and again, to Shannon's point about David Grusin's score, it's like... You know, when Mikey starts talking about his dad telling him these stories about One-Eyed Willie and the pirate ship and everything and the music kicks in and there's thunder and lightning and you're like, it's just like, this is like a great moment that's sort of, it's where the movie departs from being about the real world and yeah. starts to become this more fantastical thing. And then I just always, of all the set pieces in the movie, I thought playing the bones was the coolest. Okay. Uh, I just think that that whole sequence, the the bone piano, them crowded around it, Data fighting off uh, the Fratellis, the ground dropping out and the different sides of it, the bridge opening. It's just like, it is a great, like, right out of Indiana Jones style. Like, it's just really, really, really cool. <laughs> um, as far as emulating anything, I kind of like, kind of like I said at the beginning, I mean, whether this was because of Goonies or to Steve's point, this is just what childhood was like and Goonies captured it. Um, I mean, I would get, I, I, my uh, elementary school was a half mile from my house. Uh, so I rode my bike to school every morning. Uh, I rode my bike home in the afternoon. I dropped off my backpack. Uh, if I had anything I had to do right away, I would do it. And then I would hop back on my bike and meet up with my friends. And we would ride our bikes around the neighborhood and go to the rock quarries and climb in areas that we absolutely shouldn't be climbing in. And, you know, like go on all kinds of adventures until it was time to go home for dinner. And so like when I think back to my childhood, most of it was on a bike with like three or four other guys on either side of me riding around. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's pretty much Goonies. That's what I would, that, that was what I did every day in the suburbs. Uh, all right, Steve, do you have a favorite uh, scene at all? My favorite scenes are definitely when they first see the pirate ship and, mm. and Hey, you guys, I mean, Hey, you guys is a classic here. The hero has appeared moment. That is a moment that even the things that aren't working for the movie, I totally am ready to cheer at that moment. As far as adventures, what, what, what Michael said is absolutely right. Riding my bike all around town, oh, yeah. going in, you know, and playing in the dirt and the weeds and going up yeah. the hill and jumping my little huffy. Um, there was also like, when I was in the early 80s, there was uh, the how the hill above my parents' house was mostly empty in the 70s. And then they started building houses through the 80s. So we would climb up around in the hills and climb through construction sites all the time in ways that probably were totally dangerous. Mm -hmm. And then it was a big hill with uh, like brown weeds, all, you know, California kind of brown weeds. And we would get cardboard and we would sled down the brown weed hills over slamming into rocks and jumping over dirt roads and just completely unsafe things. That was the stuff we would do when I was a kid. <laughs> the whole body just ached hearing you tell. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> just, you know, the remote. 
just that I would fall to pieces if I hit a rock right now. Um, yeah, I did the same thing. Would always ride out with my bike with a bunch of friends. We'd always go out down the creek. All the try to ride as far as you could down the creek. That was the challenge every day, trying to ride as far as you could. Then climbing up those kind of massive hills that are always by a creek, the mud hills and whatever. Those are all fun, fun stuff to do. You did it for hours. As long as you're home by six, uh, I was able to go wherever I wanted to go for three hours a day after and, and i did my homework at night so th- those are the that was my life for the most part so whenever yeah. the street lights turned on that's yep the, whenever that's when, exactly when the street lights came on you had to be home it's funny how you guys are talking about uh so in my subdivision that i grew up in um the the lot next to my parents house was empty for years and yeah. so it was just this big dirt lot and we had my, my friends and i we had adventures all the time there and then when they did finally start to construct something um it was at the same time as like the gi joe psa's like hey if you see a construction Mm. site like don't do this um we got ideas it was like oh we can grab one of those planks (laughs) that the construction crew left behind and let's try let's try and use it to to climb over something and also you know those uh those wooden stakes with like (laughs) the uh the the brightly colored little uh tails oh yeah we i mean this was more around the time of monster squad but we yanked every single one of those out and sharpened them up uh, like just in case uh, Dracula or a vampire were to come around. <laughs> I mean, I know that every day the construction crews had to have shown up and be like, who is taking all of oh. these stakes? So, so, so here's just, just one occurred to me that is ridiculously dangerous. So, so my parents, when they moved into, <laughs> they moved into the house that my mom still lives in uh, when I was seven and it had a pool. And as I said, there were times where I'd come home from school and I'm the only one there. So I would naturally go swimming by myself. And frequently at eight, nine, 10 years old, I would swim and by myself, nobody's around. So right there, we're in a little bit of a problem. And they had the pool cover with like the bubbles, you know, which my mom still has. And I figured out that if you swim under the pool cover, that you could push it up and get a little suck of air. And so I spent a lot of time by myself swimming under a pool cover. And then what I did was I folded the cover so there'd be like cover here and then we'll fold back and then go over the top and made a little fort. So you could swim up <laughs> into the pool cover. I didn't have any friends at this time, by the way. So like there wasn't anyone to play with except my friend David Seal. Like he and I would both swim under the pool cover by ourselves and swim up under it and hang out in this little fort that would get really hot and then swim back down. And we did that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan Pollock says my days with uh, friends resemble D&D campaigns more than Goonies adventures. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough there. Uh real quick super chats come through here Steve John Getz says after listening to Geek Buddies podcast for so long it's weird seeing the actual faces conflict with my mental image. Ooh, what is your mental image of us? I would love to know that. Also, I saw this movie for the first time in theaters last year, so that's one good thing from COVID. Oh, nice! Yeah. Wait, yeah, I want to know. I, I, I need a, I need a follow up on this. Like, what did you uh, think we were going to look like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the faces are in the banner, so I'm confused about how you wouldn't know what we look like. But all right, John. All right, I respect it. <laughs> um, all right, it's, you know, you guys know I'm a movie trivia champion, so I want to run you through a 12 question movie trivia to see oh. how much. You really know the Goonies. Yeah. Shock, motherfuckers. All right, let's do this thing. <laughs> okay, uh, real, real quick. Rules. Yeah. Are we? Are, are you directing the question at a specific person, or are we buzzing Ooh, in? Question. No, you, bu- you buzz in with your name, and I will decide. And Steve, you can play along, too, if you might. Wait, wait, how, what, how do I buzz in with my name? Would you just say Steve. Just say Steve. Okay. Yeah, Steve, okay. Mike, or, or Shannon, whatever you want to choose to, to, to say right. your name. I don't think I'm going to do very well, but I'm in. I'm ready. Yeah, all right, let's do this thing. It's 12 questions, so we'll keep it chill. Uh, when the Goonies ride past Mr. Walsh outside the museum, what is he doing? 
Shannon. Vo- Shannon. Taking down the American flag. Correct. Nice job, Shannon. What nickname did Brand not call Mikey? Wimp, Little Wussy, Lump, Limp Lungs, or Lamo? Shannon. Shannon. L- little Wussy. Jesus Christ. Are you guys even in the game? Good job, Shannon. I mean, apparently not. <laughs> I, I, almost, I almost buzzed in on that one. Welcome to the Schmodown. Who said, okay, Brand, Michael Jackson didn't come to my house to use the bathroom, but it's Michael Shannon. Vogel, 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 Vogel. Chunk, Chunk said it. Chunk said it. Chunk said it. That is correct. Chunk did say mm. that. That's right. The truffle shuffle. Uh, what's the shape of the lamp on Mikey's bedpost? Shannon. Shannon? It is a skull. It is a skull. Correct. Uh, and that. And did you know, trivia real quick on the Goonies, the skull they use is an actual skull. They used mm-hmm. an actual skull in the movie. So there's a little trivia for you. Um, and also the map, The they, they didn't like the way the map looked. So they aged it. Uh, the, the production designer aged it at his hotel room with coffee and his own blood. So there you go. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, that's, oh. <laughs> that's commitment. Yeah, it's commitment. <laughs> um, what year is written on the map the Goonies find in the attic? Shannon. Oh, Shannon, go ahead. Sixteen thirty-two. That's what I was going to say. That is correct. Sixteen thirty-two. <laughs> uh, and what was? And what else did they find in the attic? Uh, the Chester Cup. Oh, yeah, but Steve. no, but I'll, uh, Steve. Vogel, Vogel. Steve. Uh, uh, the Chester Copperfield key. There you go. No, that's wrong. That's no, wrong. Shannon, oh, what Shannon. is it? Shannon. Vogel, Vogel, Vogel. Shannon, Chester they find the doubloon. They find the, they find the doubloon. They find the doubloon. They get the Chester Copperpot key off of Chester Copperpot when uh. Dana says he recognizes him, the, de- the decomposed body. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> sure. Damn it. <laughs> What's written on the note that Jake Fratelli leaves for the prison guard to find on his body? Shannon. Fogel. Shannon. Oh, I heard Fogel. Shannon. Shannon. Uh, you schmuck. You really <laughs> gonna be stupid enough to kill kill myself? All right. Well, oh, another one here. What's the name of the house cleaner? Mrs. Walsh asks. Mouth just Fogel. Fogel. Rosalita. Rosalita was, and a little bit of trivia: that actress is not a a uh, actress who doesn't speak English, ladies and gentlemen. She actually helped write some of the the Spanish words they were going to say, and then taught them how to say it in the course of the. Wait, do people think that she actually didn't speak English? Yes, brother. It's the eighties. You kidding? Oh, William God. Atherton said he used to get accosted by people like bars because they thought he was the guy from Ghostbusters or Die Hard. <laughs> So yes, in the eighties, that shit happened. <laughs> Fucking people, man. Uh, crazy. Yeah. Another ahead. cool, another cool thing about Rosa. Just speaking of Rosalita, yeah. uh, the original ending of the movie that they filmed, uh, Rosalita found the jewels in Mikey's uh, clothes, the the packet of jewels when she was right. doing his laundry back at their mm. house. Oh. And because uh, like the pirate ship kind of gets buried, they go back to the house. She finds it, and the whole scene of like where I mean, the scene kind of takes place the way it does. It just doesn't mm-hmm. happen on the beach. Um, and I think that they realized they wanted something a little bit more magical for the ending, so they ended up going back and reshooting it. Uh, I forget where the beach was, but like they went and reshot it at Bodega a Bay. Bodega Bay. They went shot Yep, they went to go do reshoots at Bodega Bay, and they kind of redid it so that they did it all right on the beach, so they could have that moment at the end where that guy's like, "Holy Mary, Mother of God!" And then the ship kind of sails off into the sunset. I, I know we're mid trivia contest, of which yes. I think I'm kicking ass. By the way, you are. Um, why does Rosalita give him the jewels? They've been nothing but horrible to her. She thinks that they're going to torture her. Why does she go? She how does she even know that the house is going to be foreclosed on? 
Well, good question. As a Latina in the eighties, I think you give them whatever you want, what they want. Now, trust me, I I have immigrant parents. When the white person asks you for something, you give it to them for fear. But they didn't ask her. Nobody knows she has them. She could just walk away. That's a good point. Also, I would just put her under the category of an honest person. Yeah, she found the bag that belonged to somebody Ah. and she gave it to them. Like, (laughs) okay, fair, sure. She could be a horrible human being, but she's not. Rosalita is lovely. (laughs) All right, no Um, Peter Men, no Peter Men. (laughs) When Chunk is telling the Fratellis everything, what does he say his little sister's name is? Uh, Shannon, Shannon, Edie. What is wrong with you all? Yes, Edie is correct. Congratulations, Shannon, on that question. Uh, everything okay? I'll talk. In the third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my uncle Max's toupee and I glued it on my face when I was Moses in my Hebrew school play. In my fifth grade, I knocked my sister Edie down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog. There you go. And I blamed it on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Who says no, sir? She's out at the market buying Pampers for all us kids. When Troy's Vogel, I heard. Yeah, I knew this one. Oh. Brand, Brand says it. It is Brand. You are correct. That's right. His quick wit, the headband, and the way he rides that little girl's biker, but a few reasons why everyone loves Brand. Who knew he'd snap the half the galaxy to death? All right. Uh, which one is not one of Data's adventures or Data's adventures? Sorry, inventions seen in the movie. Let me read that again. Which one is not one of Data's inv- inventions seen in the movie? Suction cup belt, pinchers of peril, slick shoes, or spy eyes? Steve Pogo. Steve, Steve, I heard Sly Eyes. Oh, Spy Eyes? Spy Eyes, yeah. You are correct. That's right. Spy Eyes is not. I got Uh, one! It was one of Data's Data's inventions, but they cut it from the film. So it's not. If you watch the deleted scenes, you'll see how it works. All right. How many lawns did Brand say he mowed in order to pay for his bike? Ooh. Shannon, I'll hear you, Shannon. I I did the. I can hear the the line. I did the math on this earlier. Uh, 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 Shannon, Shannon, 376. I'll be goddamn, that's correct. 376. Jesus, long. God, Shannon, uh, it's amazing, son. I think you might have a future in the Schmodown. I'm just putting it out there for you. Um, I can't handle the pressure, I can barely <laughs> handle it right now. I'm sweating. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the game, brother. Uh, all right, I think this is the last question here. What's going to be built in their place when the house is in the Steve, Shannon, Steve, Shannon. Steve, Steve. Uh, a golf course for a country club. That is correct. A golf course for a country club. Uh, and then Rosalita found uh, the marble bag full of jewels there. All right. Uh, and that's it. That's the 12 questions there for you all. Steve, you got a couple. Both I got, got two. Few. You did. But Shannon clearly won this whole thing. Congratulations, Shannon. <laughs> John Getz says, for goodness sakes, uh, Shannon, get in the schmodown. This recall is insane. Also, I honestly had the banner reversed. I always thought Vogel was the bearded guy and Shannon was the other face on there. There you go. (laughs) But isn't Vogel? Actually, I think I am the bearded guy. Actually, I am the bearded guy on the Geek Buddies banner. Yeah. I just shaved. Uh, Looks nice. Thank you. Take a look. Are you the are you the are you the guy? No, we both we both have it. You both have a beard on this one? Mm -hmm. On that on the logo? On the Geek Buddies logo? Yeah. Let's, let's take a look here. Uh, ah, yeah, too, oh, oh yeah. yeah, you're yeah. both bearded. You're both bearded. Uh, that is incorrect. You're both bearded. So uh, yeah, wow. sorry, John. I'm, I'm kind of making a face like this. 
<laughs> John says, look, I'm too drunk for this crap. Just know I had it reversed. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough, <laughs> um, all right, I think we're an hour and a half. We should wrap up the show uh, as we talk about this. We should talk about Richard Donner before we wrap up here. We know I think we did a fun conversation about the Goonies. Got kind of serious and got and had a lot of fun as well. So typical cinephiles episode, in my opinion. <laughs> um, uh, any thoughts on Richard Donner as well? And maybe if you want to mix in what you think is the lasting impact of the Goonies as it goes forward, because it keeps getting rediscovered mm-hmm. generation by generation. And it was uh, put into the National uh, Film Registry as well in 2017, I believe. So it's going to be considered one of these historically great uh, films uh, for the medium of film. So uh, who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first just okay. on Richard Donner. Well, the, the thing that I think about him is that he's one of these guys who is a craftsman and he knew how to bring his craft to a bunch of different genres. Because you think about the Omen versus Superman versus Goonies, Lethal Weapon, like he, he these are really different films and yet they all have his good craftsmanship. Mo- almost all of them have his sense of humor. And the thing that I think that I have no not a ton of evidence on I think this is one of those guys that people really like to work with, you know, yeah. like his cast liked him and they kept coming back. And it seems like he d- didn't put on a lot of airs that he was just, I'm here to do the job. And I like that kind of director. Yeah. I, I would echo that as before we get to our two uh, geek buddies guests here, I would echo that as well. I think, uh, I think that's the thing that I enjoy the most when I uh, think about Richard Donner or hear about Richard Donner, or watch him in interviews or read about him. And, you know, it's fun to go into YouTube wormhole and watch his multiple interviews. He did at multiple film festivals talking about the movies. He's a wealth of knowledge and he seems like an easygoing guy. He seems like a very chill guy. And, I wonder if Lethal Weapon 5 is going to happen now without him. Honestly, I never thought it should have happened. But like the fact that he brought that kind of like relaxed atmosphere to these sets, who can you get to replace someone like that? He's a rarity, Steve. We've talked about so many directors who are like, you know, taskmasters. He seems like one of those directors that has that natural energy and gift, organic uh, a personality that is much more relaxed, much less about the ego, much more about interactive nature of this thing than most directors. And he produced a number of, or he directed rather, a number of fantastic films from multiple genres that were successes in those genres, you know? And so um, what else would you want uh, out of that and changed a lot of people's lives and left movies that people will go back to and reference and consider some of their favorites ever made uh, as they go forward in life. Um, One last thing before we get to Mikey and Shannon here. Fredtastic314 says, hey, guys, great show. It's fun listening to Shannon and Mike talk about the love they have for the Goonies. It brings back the reasons why I enjoyed the movie but became cynical and now have a hard time finding the reasons why I enjoyed it. Wow. All right, Fred. You might need to go on a treasure map hunt yourself, Fred. There you go. Hey, one one quick thing before Shannon and Mike go, sorry, is that I just was looking. Do you know that his first film in 1961 Mm -hmm. was a movie called X-15 and it was starring... Charles Bronson and Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, what a combo! Wow, <laughs> right? Hey, Mary. Hey, Mary. Where's the treasure map? Oh, uh, Charles. <laughs> uh, all right. Who wants to go first? Here? Uh, let's start with you, uh, Shannon. Where, where, what's your feeling about Richard Donner as a director, and what do you think is his lasting legacy? About the I mean, we talked was. about this uh, a few weeks ago uh, after after he had passed, and like Richard Donner, I think is just sort of like the consummate journeyman director. I mean, this is a guy who started doing television. He directed episodes of Twilight Zone. He directed episodes of Gilligan's Island, and making that jump from television to film—that's not an easy jump to make. And the fact that he was able to do it and continued to work. I mean, I think it 
I, I imagine it speaks to him as a person that people probably did enjoy working with him, that, that he probably did run a pleasant, um, a pleasant set. And as far as the Goonies, I mean, man, I, 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 it's funny because Vogel and I are working on a project together right now. And, and one of my outlines, I put in that they find a map. And one of the notes I got is kids don't read maps. They look at their cell phones now. <laughs> so I really hope that, um, I really hope that the, the day comes where we swing back around and kids do find um, the magic in what a treasure map is. Oh, good boy. All right, Mikey, please. Uh, I think, so what I, what I think about Donner is as varied a career as he had and as many different types of films that he made, like the thing that's sort of the constant in all of them is he created a believable lived in world. Mm. So whether, mm. whether that is, whether that is Metropolis or it's, you know, the Lethal Weapon movies or it's Goonies, um, he created a world that felt like people really lived in it and you really believe in those characters. And I think that that's what... He was really talented at doing. That's what he he got. He got out really natural performances from people. Um, he just he just he just managed to make. I think he believed in the worlds that he was creating enough that it made you believe in them. Uh, and I think that that's sort of part of what his legacy is. And I think that's part of like the legacy of what Goonies is. I think mm. that that's why people remember it more fondly than other movies that they go back again to the monster squad example that you're like, Ooh, I did like that as a kid, but ugh. Um, and then to disagree with Shannon a little bit on the map versus uh, phone thing. And I got kind the of note. To... I can pull it up. No, oh, no, no. I know you got the note. That part really happened. Um, but I think it sort of speaks to uh, a little bit of what we were talking about, the difference between kids when we were kids growing up now, kids growing up when we were kids and everything else is that I think that Goonies is a movie that speaks to the kid in all of us. And some people hear it and some people don't. And I think that kids today, whether they're looking at cell phones or maps, like they're still having adventures. They might not be having adventures in the same way that we did. They might be experiencing their adventures with each other differently. But I think that kids are always smarter than we give them credit for. Kids are always dealing with more than we think that they are as adults. And I think Goonies speaks to that. And I think that's sort of its enduring legacy. So I think kids today uh, are still very able to uh, find their 2021 version of Treasure Maps. It's just adults that have a harder time doing it. That's a great, that's a fantastic point, man. All right, I'm gonna go rethink my life. Thank you, Mike. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Steve? You, you asked about the lasting impact of Goonies, yeah. and I, I just want to go back to what Michael said at the very beginning. I totally, totally understand why Goonies is mentioned in so many development meetings mm -hmm. because, and it goes back to what I was saying too, is like structurally, it, this is a perfect kids' adventure. And going, how do we get a group of characters and create a situation where kids can be independent and face scary things and accomplish great things? Like, that is a really, really cool thing. And I think that is 100% not only a lasting effect, but even though I'm not the biggest fan of the film, I think it's a good effect. Yeah. Thousand percent agree with that. All right, well that's that's it for this episode of Cine the Cinephiles Live. Can't thank you all enough for watching, and uh, for those of you who are watching later, thank you very much for watching as well or listening to this. I'm sure Steve's going to put the audio up of this one, and please remember to hit a like on this video as well and uh, leave a comment. It's always nice to have you leave comments and likes. Likes and comments elevate the visibility of the channel, elevate the visibility of the show. So we appreciate you all doing that a thousand percent, and thank you for all the super chats and the streamlabs and the support you give us every. 
every week when we do the Cinephiles Live or when we do our regular show for all you patrons out there who are supporting us as well. We appreciate it madly. Steve, what do we tell them about social media and all that stuff? Well, all that stuff is that you can follow the Cinephiles on Cine underscore Files on Twitter, the Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. Of course, we're always putting things up on Facebook. Luke, who works helps with our Facebook stuff, has been asking a bunch of great questions leading up to this Goonies discussion. Mm-hmm. If you want to support the show, you can do it on Patreon.com slash the Cinephiles, where we regularly put up Cinephile shorts. Right now, we are in the middle of a three-part Cinephile yeah. shorts conversation where we get into everything from casting my past and giving John Roca the job of a studio head that's all the things we're discussing on patreon.com slash the cinephiles and of course you can subscribe to the cinephiles right here on our youtube channel or on itunes and of course also on spotify and stitcher and please 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 if you haven't already leave a review on itunes yeah there you go uh, and yes somehow the algorithm chose me michael to be the head of the studio so i like algorithms now all of a sudden um, <laughs> oh that's why that's that's yep. where the algorithm love came from now it all makes sense yep. <laughs> shannon do you want to drop your geek buddy stuff that you usually do for us yeah if you'd like to follow me the on geek social files media <laughs> on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you'd like to follow the geek buddies on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies and every week you will see me with two of two of the three of these gentlemen on the geek buddies there you go well and i personally uh just thank you guys so much because i love the geek files i love or or, or the <laughs> cine buddies or whatever it is oh they I both work when, yeah yeah i know right i love when the four of us get together it is such a pleasure and i so much enjoy talking to you about whatever it is we're going to talk about it's so much fun absolutely Mike, any final words? Uh, I know uh, Steve covered all the stuff that I okay. usually do on Geek Buddy, so I'm just going to say, <laughs> hey, perfect. it was a pleasure to be here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both again for coming on. This was a fun, fun time. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. Yeah, you can follow me at the Roka says on Twitter and Instagram. And hey, I'm on Twitch, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch, if you want to roll around. And my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roka says, come and hang out and have some fun over there as well. All right, you all take care of yourselves. Be well. We love you madly. Uh, practice social distancing. Wear your mask. Be careful. The Delta variant is real. The other variants are real. So be safe. Stay with us. And we'll talk to you next time for another brand new episode of the Cinephiles Live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.